interview the company as much as they're interviewing you. I think that's such a great tip. One of the reasons that I think people stay with companies now is because companies that already know them are willing to give them opportunities to try something new. It's very hard to get a new job that has a new job, new place, trying something new. Very, very hard. But it is possible when you've built up trust at an organization to have them say, you know what? I've done digital marketing. Let me take over the SEO. Are you good with me doing that? Hey, I've done the SEO. Let me actually take on a little bit of a product role and let me work with the tech team a little bit more. And companies that are willing to do that, and you know, I would ask, I'd say, who's the last person who actually took a, took a new role and learns <laughs> and actually took a role that they weren't already qualified for at your company? What's the education? What's the professional development you gave them? And let me talk to them. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Organize Chaos for another live edition. I'm excited to dive into this one. This one's going to be all about investing in leadership and professional development, higher education opportunities for your employees. So if you're running a business or working at a business and wondering how much should we invest in our people, how should we think about these expenses? What are the ROI that I would get out of investing in professional development, nurturing leaders? That is the topic of today's conversation. So I want to start off with a little question that we're going to put in the chat here, but I'll just ask it. It's what leadership and development strategies have been effective in your business or workplace? So chime in, let us know what you're doing in your company so that I can talk about it with our guest who's joining in just a second. So our guest today that's joining me in the discussion is Luke Owings. He's the VP of product over at a company called Ability, which is a leadership development company that offers mini MBAs virtually and business simulations, which sound cool, that help senior executives build their leadership skills. So we're going to dig into leadership development, and I'd love to welcome on Luke to join me. Awesome. Great to see you. Hey, Luke. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. My pleasure. Happy to come on and talk about a topic that I love. So we chatted briefly before we went live, but where are you logging in from? Uh, I'm actually in New Hampshire. I'm in the lake. I'm on Lake Winnipesaukee, which became so famous from Bill Murray and What About Bob, uh, which everybody knows about. So yeah, I'm up here uh, spending some time with my family. Amazing. I grew up in the Boston area, so plenty of time at Lake Winnipesaukee. Very cool. So we're going to talk about leadership development, investing in your leaders. Um, I want to hear about these simulations that you all run. So before we dive into it, can you just share a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Absolutely. To be happy to. Um, I have a, a bit of a mosaic career, I like to say, where I've tried out a whole lot of different things and individually they make sense and together they look a little scattered, but thankfully for me, make, make a pretty broader picture. Uh, so, so for me, I, I started my career as a consultant. I went to one of the big consulting firms, worked there, had some of the best professional development in my life, but realized I didn't want to be there long term. So went back and got my own MBA actually in Boston as well, uh, similar to, to you, to the schooling you did in Boston. I went back, got my MBA, and while I was there, started teaching and fell in love with education, fell in love with learning, fell in love with how that all comes together. And so spent the next phase of my career uh, building a company that actually did leadership development for organizations. So I built a company called Fullbridge and out of Cambridge, and, and we did month-long business boot camps. And so really doubled down on that for a number of years and uh, moved from there into actually running the people side of businesses. So like you've talked about the ROI of learning, the ROI of leadership 
leadership development, had to think about that in, in fast growing companies. And so ran the people department at a 500 person company down in Austin, which was hmm. crazy hot, almost as hot as Northern Arizona, Chris. Um, <laughs> Southern Arizona that. is really hot. I'm, I'm fortunate to be in the mountains right now, which is pretty nice, but where we usually are, it's hot. Oh, I believe it. Ooh. When I hear the planes can't take off, I worry. Um, <laughs> So I spent some time there, uh, actually got fired from that job. It was a great job, but I got fired from it. Long story, we'll leave it to the side for today. But went, um, rejoined McKinsey and ran uh, a lot of our leadership development for large organizations. So I had to think about how those came together. What organizations do with leadership development, why they do it, why they invest in it, how they do it. Um, and then when I left there in 2020 during the pandemic, came over and joined Ability and, and uh, run our product team where we build the leadership development programs and, and simulations that actually help help people develop in their careers, whether they're high potential leaders, whether they're executives taking the next step. But whatever it is, um, from, from small, medium-sized businesses all the way up to Fortune 10s, uh, working with them to actually develop their leaders. So I, I feel very privileged to have, have a whole lot of different experiences across the gamut of, of size of company and across different roles. But this is a topic that's always been near and dear to my heart. Yeah, so it sounds like your whole career has kind of been steeped in professional development, whether it was from a consulting capacity and trying to help level up the businesses you yeah. work with or in this leadership development world. And so now working in product and developing these kind of curriculums to level people up, you said you work with small businesses all the way up to enterprise, the whole gamut? Yeah, yeah. I would say we have companies where we're, there's only one person who comes into our invited MBA program, all the way up to companies where we run onboarding for 10,000 of their people. And we actually help their high potential leaders uh, learn whatever skill they need to. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty broad range. Okay. So I'll ask a really simple question to get us started. When someone's listening to this and they're thinking about uh, whether they should invest in professional development for the people, is this a company responsibility? Or is this an individual responsibility? Oh I'm curious gosh. what you think on this. Chris, that might be one of the best questions that's out there. And it's it's shocking because it really does get to that deep feeling of like, what is the social contract with individuals and their company? Um, I have some thoughts on this. What's your take? It's your question, but I'm going to throw it back to you. What's your take? So personally, I like when an individual is showing that they want to go out and invest themselves in this. And then when I yeah. see that, I want to supercharge it and pay for it from the company and invest in it. Um, but but I don't like when people just sit around waiting for the company to provide them these opportunities. I want to see that they're hungry and they're trying to learn and we can supercharge them. I love that, right? Like so many small companies are doing exactly what you're saying, which is give some kind of uh, amount of money that uh, education reimbursement and saying, you know what, if you want this, go get it. We are going to support it. We're going to amplify it. We are going to supercharge it. We'll send other people to go with you, but like go find it. And I think that that works really well at small companies. Yeah. I think the conversation gets a little bit more it gets a little bit more nuanced when you get to large companies because at large companies, they use leadership development, not just for the learning, but they use it as well for the culture building. They use it for the connecting and the networking, right? Mm -hmm. Like in our increasingly virtual world, what are the real ways you get to interact with, if you're a top 150 executive at a fortune 500 company, what are the real ways you get to interact with the other executives at your level who are in different geographies who are in different functions? And so I, I increasingly, and we at Ability increasingly see companies use it as, as a way of actually building a network and building a culture. And mm. I think that's a place where companies can and do invest in it. And the ROI there is pretty clear in terms of retention. 
Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So if you have leaders that are working in different departments or geography is and they don't interact much, the professional development programs, curriculums can be a way for them to kind of go to school together and develop that camaraderie, right? <laughs> I think that's so right. And you've mentioned the simulations we run a couple of times and, and we think that they're so powerful in these situations and we see it borne out with our clients because they actually create fire in those situations. Like mm -hmm. you're not going to a classroom and watching Malcolm Gladwell speak, who is incredible. And like, we've all can go on masterclass. I actually did it on a plane the other day and watched a couple of their lectures. Spoiler alert, I almost fell asleep, but that was just because I can't watch videos for too long at this point. My attention span's too short. But we think our simulations actually create that fire for the real connection. And I think that's kind of like the shadow underneath that really drives a lot of leadership development at, at large companies. There was a book I read recently, uh, 12 and a half by Gary V, which half the book was just simulated scenarios mm. talking about, you know, here's, here's a situation. What would you do in this situation? So is that kind of what it's like in a virtual capacity or what are your simulations like? Uh, you know, I would, I would almost imagine more like SimCity. Did you play? You're, you're a kid of the nineties like me, eighties and nineties like me. Yeah. What yeah. video games did you play growing up? Uh, I played a lot of NBA jam. I played, I played like the sports stuff. I wasn't too big into like the, uh, the Sim city. I thought it was cool, but it was like, you know, the computer lab in my class with the Macs. they had, yeah. they had that. And I never stayed after <laughs> I was, I was doing sports. Well, you and I both played the NBA jam. I tell you what, having a Chris Mullen shoot from the corner was not a bad, bad strategy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Ours, ours are a bit more like, uh, I think the corollary for people who have played it would be more like SimCity or Civilization, where you're actually building a structure. And in one of our main ones, Business Challenge, you're building a company and you have access to its financials and you build it over the course of many years and compete with other teams. And so you and a couple of partners actually get to go through the hard discussions an executive goes through. How much do we spend on R&D? What do I do yeah. on our pricing model? And then how do we then use that to create value? So some are more like that and some are more role play based, similar to what you've talked about uh, for, for yeah. the case study ones where you're learning how to manage people. Um, and so we, we have a, actually a whole portfolio of them that are integrated into our invited MBA, which we think are, are really powerful learning tools. Okay. So you mentioned when you invest in this, yes, it's for the education. Yes, it's for culture yeah. and building connections with people. Are there other, you know, elements that you're that you're selling this on? What else should people expect to get if they're making an investment? You know, it's it's interesting because I probably took your question and took it more toward the enterprise side and the large company side. And it's every bit as interesting at the small side and where you started with your answer. For people who are learning, right, it's about getting a new lens, getting a new, getting a new, um, a new language around business. If you're working at a small company, you might never have had access to financials and financial thinking, and trying to understand how to think of a break-even analysis when you're trying whether trying to decide whether to hire a new person or bring on a contractor for a short period of time. That type of thinking and that type of of, of business toolkit is something that you should expect from these sims and from any leadership development. You also should in some way, shape or form, expect a, a confidence to actually enter into conversations about topics that are outside of your subject area. So if you're a marketing specialist and you're saying, I wanna get a mini MBA or I wanna continue my leadership path, you better start to learn the language of strategy. You better start to learn the yeah. language of finance. You better learn these and so that you can enter into those conversations when your role is no longer just an individual contributor in the marketing function. And so I think there's there's a whole set of skills and language and mindsets that really need to come with good leadership development. 
Yeah, totally. Okay. So on the employee side, then there's been a lot of career pivots and people changing jobs. If someone's looking for the the next company that they're going to work with, how do they know which companies invest in training and don't invest in, in professional development? Should they be asking these questions when they're interviewing or how do you think candidates should consider this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the best thing you can do is look at people who are there, right? And regardless of what anybody says in an interview, are the people who are there getting professionally developed? Are they getting access to opportunities? And I, I think in today's world, with the number of opportunities, with the tight labor market as it is, any candidate should be interviewing a company as much as the company is interviewing them. And talking to people who are been in your role, if it's a common role or, or are adjacent to your role, how do you get professional development? How does the company support it? Do they reimburse it? Do they actually help you find opportunities? How do they make sure that after you do it, it gets into, it gets actually applied and so you're actually learning? And that's like the learning side. The other side, which is crazy important, is how do you get opportunities to do new things? One of the reasons that I think people stay with companies now is because companies that already know them are willing to give them opportunities to try something new. It's very hard to get a new job that heads. A new job, new place, trying something new. Very, very hard. But it is possible when you've built up trust at an organization to have them say, you know what? I've done digital marketing. Let me take over the SEO. Are you good with me doing that? Hey, I've done SEO. Let me actually take on a little bit of a product role and let me work with the tech team a little bit more. And companies that are willing to do that, and you know, I would ask, I'd say, who's the last person who actually took a, took a new role and learns <laughs> and actually took a role that they weren't already qualified for at your company? What's the education? What's the professional development you gave them? And let me talk to them. Like, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't do that. You're making a big investment of your own time and career. Interview the company as much as they're interviewing you. I think that's such a great tip. And so anyone that's listening, that's in the job market, remember you're interviewing the company. They're not just interviewing you. So make sure it's a good fit. And I think it's a great suggestion to reach out to people that recently started at the business and ask what is professional development like there? So great tip. Now, from a company's perspective, how much do you invest in this? And I'm going to take away the easy answer, which is it depends. You can't say that. <laughs> so, so you, how would you think about the investment on a, on a dollar basis, on a percentage of salary? Like, is there some formula that you would use? I can't say it depends. <laughs> no, no. You know, if I had to give a number and you had to like, you just pushed me to give a number. I would say it should be at least a couple thousand dollars a year, right? And I think that you can go really far with a couple thousand dollars a year. I think companies that I see that do this well, uh, some of them do around $2,000 a year. Some of them do up to $5,000 a year. I, I think you can do a lot with $2,000 a year though, with all the opportunities that are out there, with all the pushes that are out there. You know, there's there's the self-paced learning, the LinkedIn's of the world, LinkedIn learnings where you, you have to do stuff like that. There's also the boot camps, more like our invited MBA or more like some of the, the boot camps that exist around user experience, user uh, uh, tech, technology, engineering, any of these things. And so I think, I think you can get a lot with a very little. And so one thing I would look at is how much money do they put toward it? And the second thing I would look at quite honestly is whether or not they actually have structures in place to actually create opportunity for it. And I, I look at a company like Guild Education, which does an incredible job partnering with huge organizations like Walmart or Disney and providing access to educational opportunities to the Starbucks of the, to, to companies like this, Starbucks and yeah. Walmart, Disney. And I think that when those things exist, that's a sign that people are actually being professionally developed. 
Yeah, I, I, I've said this before, so I'll share it again, but I kind of think of a rough number as about 5% of someone's salary plus mm. their time on an annual basis. Mm. Because if you are sending them to an event or if you're having them use the you know working hours to go through some of these modules or something, that was just kind of like a rough back of the napkin math I've used. And then I love the point that you made about stretching the dollars. You know, it doesn't have to be a crazy amount of money, but what yeah. can you get for this investment? As you were sharing that, I was thinking of, um, I, I was just at like the arcade with my kids. And you know, at the arcade, when you're a kid and you go to the arcade and you're cashing in your points and you want to like maximize <laughs> everything and you, you see my kids end up with like four little foam balls and three pieces of candy and two erasers and like a little like, <laughs> frisbee thing and the, yeah. you know, but then they come out and they feel like they've maximized it because it was, it was like their, their finite currency to spend. And so I think that's, that's the right mindset is how much can we get? For this development to really stretch it through the year to make sure that we're getting what we uh, what we need out of it. So, I, I think we're, I like we're that. right in line. I like so five percent. That's a very interesting. So then it goes up as people end up higher in their higher in their career and higher salaries and their their educational benefits go up too. Yeah, and that's kind of I, I, again, it's a, it's a rough back of the napkin thing, but. The reason for that is as people are getting more advanced in their career, they're taking on that next leap. They probably yeah. need some more expensive resources, whether it's coaching or a mentor or someone to come in and do a workshop. And so it's just a, a simple way that I've tried to think about it. I like that. How many people are at Trainual? Can you remind me of that again? Almost 100. Almost 100. So how have you seen leadership development change at Trainual as you started it and it's grown from much smaller than that, up to a hundred people. How have you seen it change how your people get uh, professionally developed? Well, at the beginning, it didn't really exist. And so it, so the first change was that it started to exist. <laughs> so yeah. I, I would say, you know, as a, a really small company, we were bootstrapped the first couple of years. And when you're five, 10, 15 people, um, you know, the the investment in external kind of training is, yeah. uh, is brand new. You're starting to think about like, can we afford to go to this conference? Uh, can we buy this certification for a person? You don't really have like a formula for it. And so for yeah. me, it was kind of between that stage where we had, you know, a dozen to a couple dozen people that we started to say, okay, we've got a, a, a group of people here now that we need to start to invest in if we want them to be growing yeah. personally as fast as the business is growing. Because, yeah. you know, I believe that when you hold a role in a company, uh, you need to be growing as fast as that company if you want to hold that role the next year. You know, if the company yeah. doubles in size and there's all these new responsibilities, you have to kind of double your own capacity to do that job. And so we right. really needed to start investing in our people. And now do you have some kind of standard thing that people go through as they become middle managers, as they rise up? How, how does that work? Yeah, so we have our own internal training, of course, with with our program that that teaches people the basics of how we do what we do. You know, how yeah. do you be a people manager at Trainual? But then we invest in external training as well for you know the specific things that we're not the experts at internally. Yeah, you know, like we will bring in the uh, you know management best practices or the DEI training or the you know the things yeah. that, that we're not creating in house. That makes sense. You know, it's it's interesting you said how to be a people manager at Trainual, which I think is it's an interesting thing that companies start to do. And one of the places where we sit as ability and, and our program with the invited MBA is that, you know, of that how to be a people manager at training, there is some subset of that which is just standard management, 
right? Like, how do you give feedback, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's, there's standard ways of giving feedback. And if you go to 100 different companies, you'll find two or three different frames and tools for giving feedback. There's how to do check-ins, how to do mm -hmm. a good performance review, and like actually how to set performance contracts where you're saying, okay, right. when am I expecting something? What am I expecting? How will I know it's done? What will happen if it is done? What is the support? Like there are these tools that are just out there that Trainual doesn't need to recreate because Walmart's created and yada, 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 other places yeah. have created it too. Yeah. I think what, what what gets us so jazzed about about you know what we do is that we can then provide some of those standard things and then work with you to bring that last twenty percent, which is what really makes a trainual manager so special. What is yeah. it that makes them? What is it that makes someone who's at Peloton so special in terms of the Peloton way of doing things or whatever the company may be? Uh, yeah. it, it, it's what makes us so excited because what we were seeing a lot of us was, you know. Trainual was creating their own middle manager training and Walmart was and Disney was and all these things. And we we're like, why can't we just democratize that piece and say, here's what coaching is. Here's what feedback is. Here's what building trust is. Here's what that is. Right. Now just put on the, the top piece, which is what you need for your culture and your network and all that stuff. But let us really build that, that first stuff really well. And, and yeah. I think that's where we, we go with this. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a need. You know, I, I, uh, one of the examples I give in a presentation I do is like no hospital is teaching their doctors how to perform surgery. You know, like mm. the, the, the how to perform surgery, you learn externally, not at the business, right. but you learn that in school. There's education, there's frameworks, <laughs> all that. And then you learn the specifics of how this hospital operates with what EMR they use and how to set up the operating room and who else is in the room with you. And that can vary hospital to hospital, but there's a difference between that internal training and the external training that you wanna supplement because like you said, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. I like that. I like that hospital analogy. Yeah, huh. EMR. it's mine. You got to you got to give me credit if you share it. <laughs> well, you got to tell me what an EMR is first. What's an EMR? Electronic medical records. Wow. I, I did. Uh, I when I was consulting before Trainual, I had customers, clients, and all these different industries. Yeah. So I, I I I could probably just speak in acronyms across different industries. So sorry. We, about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you don't know all the TLAs, you got to watch out, right? Yeah, you know yeah. all of our three-letter acronyms—they're everywhere. So, so we touched on cost a little bit, but you know, coming into yeah. a down market, a lot of people are talking about a recession. Professional development is one of those budget items that sometimes just gets yeah. scratched. What do you say to yeah. that? <laughs> well, what's the old saying? It's like the CFO says, "What if we?" Um, uh, what if we invest in our people and they leave and the CEO says, what if we don't invest them and they stay? <laughs> it's like yeah. a, a much more dangerous thing. Uh, you know, my personal take is that leadership development is more important than ever before, even in a down market as it is right now. Um, and I think that that has been exacerbated by the move to remote, the remote, the move to hybrid, the move to flexible working places, because having a the connections within your organization and investing in leaders who are going to take it forward. Even if a recession happens, you're not losing all your people, right? Like you need to continue investing in those people who you want to stay, mm -hmm. uh, having them have a common language, having them have common experiences, having them have some connection to your organization and feeling that affinity toward it is more important than ever before. Secondly, they're going to be asked to do more than they were before. And so having some of the skills of the leadership development, uh, having some of the skills of, understanding the basics of finance, understanding why if, you know, there used to be much more generous benefits, they need to be cut back. Understanding that why is really important for your workforce. 
Uh, and then just very basically at the retention level, right? Like you're going to lose people if you don't invest in them. People are more mobile than ever before. The great resignation was and is and will be a thing as people become more flexible. And so, you know, companies that historically might have uh, pulled back investment in a downturn, it's it's my kind of hypothesis and theory here that given the way the world has changed, that's going to happen differently during this pullback. Yeah. So what do you I'm think? biased though, for sure. To be <laughs> Me too. I, I uh, you know, of course you want to invest in training, but I, but I do think that it's a cycle. You know, the businesses that invest in training and professional development and mm-hmm. leadership create a good culture. And you, you look at the, the, the businesses with the best cultures and those are the ones that you expect and trust to be investing in these things. And so it is a little bit of a cycle. So what do you think are some, you know, practical tips to create that culture that really embraces leadership development? Yeah. You know, I think a couple of things. Um, One is we're big believers in cohort-based things, right? So cohort-based in terms of event-based cohorts, getting them together and having them do things. I think there's a world where places like LinkedIn Learning and Coursera are really valuable. If I'm trying to learn how to do a pivot table on Excel, I'm going to go on LinkedIn Learning and I'm going to watch seven videos and then I'm going to try out different things. I'm going to do that. If what I'm trying to learn how to do is have business judgment, I think actually cohort-based experiential learning that's event-based coming together and doing something with other people is actually really important, right? It's important for all the things we've talked about, the skills. It's important for the things around... um, uh, around the networking. It's important for the connections. It's important for the confidence. It's important for culture. It's important for all these things. So one is having cohort-based, event-based uh, learning that happens on this. Secondly, I think it's it's really important that when you're doing those things, you're actually using a language that then gets applied when they're back in their real jobs, in their regular jobs. And so whether that language is some of the tools around it, whether that language is a, a definition of leadership development model around what a trainable manager is and what they do, right, whatever that may be, it becomes really important. It's not just a one-off event that people are just excited about, happy about, and then walk away from, right? And so it actually has to get reinforced. Um, and then lastly, I think it comes down a lot to the real high level executives of the of the company who are who are continuing to to reinforce it through a what they do, their own professional development, and b calling out people who are doing it and calling out things that matter from it. And so I, I think in many ways, their job is creating the heroes of an organization and in creating the heroes, they they have the opportunity to highlight how powerful this stuff is. So you create the heroes by sharing who is investing in this and what they're learning. Is there a best practice when someone goes and they learn this external knowledge, they come back and do a lunch and learn or how, how can you get the most bang for your buck when you invest in these things? You know, I think that's so, you hate my, it depends answer, but I think it's so dependent on company culture and how they do things. You know, we do lunch and learns every two weeks with our whole company because we're 25 people. And so, you know, we come together and we talk about something specific. I think there's so many good tools out there for it. We also have a couple of Slack channels that are, hey, hashtag productivity hacks. Like what are productivity hacks that you're doing? And most of our company is on there. And when someone learns something, uh, one of my engineers goes out and learns a trick on terms of how to make their Google, uh, their Gmail much more effective. They share it there, right? And so like there's this culture of, of it actually continuing to be highlighted, right? So there's Slack type things. You look at a company like Oyster, which just hit their billion dollar valuation. They are, yeah. they, they are was just on a couple weeks ago, actually. 
oh, was he? I think what they're yeah. doing is so cool, right? Yeah. Like they have notion boards that they're actually using for asynchronous uh, best practice sharing. They have, they have synchronous only when it's needed. They tape video, they tape meetings and have looms and have things that you can watch on this. And I, I think, man, in this virtual world, there is so many ways to do it. And it's all about ways that your organization is going to hear it. So yeah, I like this Thomas Hogan, this weekly book club. I think that's a good one, right? Uh, a lot of, a lot of comments here, cheap leadership training of weekly book club. So much of this to, to Thomas's points, his lunch and learns here as well is like just creating a culture where it becomes normal to discuss it, where it becomes normal to learn, where it becomes normal to bring something new to the table. You know, the other way I think leaders do this um, is they admit that they don't know something and they have to go learn something. And yeah. sometimes that that's as big as anything else. So what what is good leadership? I mean, what are we striving for? You know, what does the ideal leader look like? Is there a way to measure that, that somebody's leadership has improved? Oh, wow. That's, you know, what I always look at is, well, there's the productivity things about whether they're actually getting things done, whether their team is actually getting things done. As they move up to being a higher and higher leader, I, I also really look at uh, how much the people beneath them are sticking around. Leadership at the end of the day isn't leadership unless there's people that are following. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just a sole, sole person out there. Right. Um, and so, you know, I always look at, okay, are the people beneath them staying? Are the people beneath them growing? Are the people beneath them surprising me in some ways? Right. Are the people beneath them empowered in some ways to bring something new to the table? And so I think that that's, that's the kind of high level top of the iceberg things you look for. And, and this whole idea of how you measure the culture and how you measure the culture of leadership is, is a challenging one for sure, because I'll tell you that what, what a good leader looks like in one place might be very different than what a good leader looks like in another place. Yeah, uh, it's true. Every company is going to be different, have different needs. And, you know, what's worked well for us is, you know, for making that commitment, like I mentioned, that we know we need to invest in leaders because we know we need them to be growing like we are as a company. Mm -hmm. But before it was as systematic as it was, you know, we, we needed to figure out what are each person's gaps that we want to invest mm -hmm. in with them. And I think that a yeah. lot of companies don't put enough attention into that to really analyzing where are you today and what are the gaps that we need to work on to get you to that next level. And so does that fit into to, to what you recommend? I think that's great advice. I have very little to add on top of that, right? Like as a head of a company, as you're growing your leaders, one of the big things you do is help them know what they don't know they don't know. Help them understand yeah. those gaps and then help them understand the tools to fill them. So I, I love what you're saying. All right. So we talked through simulations. We talked through the external information, not reinventing the wheel, building a culture that is uh, valuing and celebrating the heroes that are getting this kind of investment, bringing it back to the team, doing lunch and learns like Thomas also mentioned. Are there any other simple tricks that maybe a smaller business without a huge budget can can use to start showing that they really value this education component? Yeah, I mean, if you're doing weekly meetings, what if you ended with five minutes of saying, what did you learn this week? Just do that. Like literally ask that one question at the end of your weekly staff meeting, whatever team you're on, what did you learn this week? And how did you learn it? Right. Uh, and that might be as simple as, Hey, I didn't know how to do this. So I Googled the shit out of it and found it. Right. Which my tech guys say all the time to me. And they're like, I didn't know this. So I Googled the shit out of it. And I did that. <laughs> right? Or it might be, Hey, 
I went to this conference and I heard this person speak. Or it might be, hey, I, I found this new training that actually highlights to me the gap I know I have in my financial knowledge and I want to do that. But like a simple, so much of this is cultural. So a simple question at the end of the week of like, what did you learn this week? And how did you learn it? I, I think starts to create that culture, which makes all of the other things happen. People use mm-hmm. their 5%. It makes people want to bring things back. It makes them want to go together to things. I think this is where the power really lies. So simple. What did you learn this week? You know, there, there was, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Paul Akers. He had a book, Two Minute Lean. He was on the podcast a while ago. And they used to position this question of like, how, how, did, how are you saving two extra minutes this week? You know, as, as a way to like get those productivity hacks. And I thought that that was a, a cool way to phrase it too. We have uh, in our Slack channel, a or our Slack account, a channel for share. Uh, and people post articles or podcasts or things all the time. But the rule is that you have to kind of summarize your takeaways, not nice. just posting a link that's going to give someone a, an hour long to do. But what were your yeah. couple big takeaways from this? And that's worked really well for us. How big is that Slack channel out of curiosity? The whole company. So hundred people. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Oftentimes those things fade away once you get to a certain size company, you know, they, they just become the barrier to put something in there and then you get like 2% of people who will continue to use it and it becomes hard, but I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, we get people using it. So it's very cool. All right. So as we start to, uh, to wrap this up, um, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is that leaders that are, out there learning new skills, um, maybe sometimes have to confront that they don't know how to do things and be transparent with their team about like their areas that they're working on. So it's a delicate balance between, you know, wanting to seem confident, like, you know what you're doing, being vulnerable and sharing people like, I'm actually going to get some education on this because I know this is a weakness for me. Is there a perfect middle ground with how a leader should be sharing their own investments in professional development to the team? You know, I deal with this a lot because I run a product team and I oversee our engineers who know things that I have no idea about from the perspective of the code base, from the perspective of what they're what they're building on a daily basis. And so the way I tackle it personally, I can tell you, is that I really try to align with them on the outcomes. I really try to align with them on where we're going and what the milestones are and what I'm expecting to see at that point and where what it looks like. So for example, we're in the middle of a product roadmap and we had a big lunch and learn with the company then I said, I really want this feature to be a part of it. I'm willing to brainstorm with you. I'm willing to help you with it. I'm not going to be going into the libraries to figure out that calendar functionality. I'm not going to figure out if Google Calendar can actually integrate with it. I, I that's not my skill set right now. I'll brainstorm with you about what we want users to do. I'll brainstorm with you about what the flow could look like. I'll give you feedback on my side. And I want this outcome in terms of this feature set to be cooked by that Monday. Okay. And so I find that a, I, I have just a wonderful team who I love, love to death. And I think are incredibly talented and incredibly skilled and incredibly motivated um, to do great work. Incidentally, of all my teams, none of them had formal engineering training. They're all self-taught um, and they're, they're autodidacts and geniuses. Uh, but I find that balancing this vulnerability with the confidence comes from let's align on the outcomes we're trying to get to. Let's make sure we're clear on what we're looking for and how, like what it's going to be. And then recognize that there are pieces of the how I can help you with, but there are pieces of the how that are going to be you. And I'm going to be asking questions because you're just going to know more than me about that. And I, I find that they're, they're pretty receptive to that, especially because I've shown an interest in a willingness to learn and continue to 
do my own work, right? Like do my own work to get there. <laughs> Leadership is a journey. <laughs> it's a journey for sure. And it's and then Chris, man, how do you balance them? The vulnerability plus the uh, plus the confidence. And you're in the CEO seat, which makes it another piece. And you have investors who are external who are saying, hey, what the hell? I'm giving money to this guy who's saying he doesn't know what he's doing on this front. Like, how do you balance? Yeah, I think that there's probably an extreme where if you're too overconfident, uh, then you're not open to ideas. Uh, yeah. you, you seem you know, more cocky. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. And then I think that if you're not confident enough, if you're 100% vulnerable, then uh, it kind of looks like you don't have any conviction and you don't have any vision or direction for where you're going. So yeah. it's, it's definitely a balance to be vulnerable when it's affecting other people, I think. You know, if, if there's a, a flaw, a weakness, something that is impacting others, then yeah. addressing that immediately and directly, I think is really important because you're taking the accountability for it's something that you need to work on. Um, yeah. But I think that there's, there, there's a, like I said, it's a balance. You've gotta be, you gotta be a mix of vulnerable and confident. How do you specifically do that with external investors who have just put what 27 million? Is that what you guys have raised right now? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Have just put something like that on the table and say, Chris is our guy, right? And the market's going down. Oh shit. What's going to happen? Like, well, they're no longer that? external. They're part of the team now. You know, and mm. so it's it's the same thing with with uh, you know you bring investors in and they're they're part owners in the company. They're sit, sitting at the table with you there to solve the problems. And not everything's going to go perfectly all the time, but you have to be, you know, vulnerable enough to share the realities of where things are, but confident enough to share the direction that you're taking things forward. If you show up to a meeting and say, I don't know what we're going to do. Everything's on fire. Then there's a problem and you might, get yeah. replaced, you know, but if you say, here's the reality of where things are, here's a team that was working on it. Here's a couple of things that we're testing right now. Here's the yeah. next time that we're going to check back in. Then they can be confident that they've got someone uh, at the driver's seat that they can uh, that they can trust. I like that. So, what is your biggest people worry as we head into this potential downturn as a CEO? I, I know I'm turning the Trent told me I was allowed to ask you a few questions, but what yeah. is your big like? I know there's quite worries about customers. I know there's everyone has the same worries about the market, all this stuff. But in terms of your people, what is your biggest people concern as a CEO of, of, of Trainual as you look at the potential recession coming? So answering this off the cuff, when there's a recession, you have to be extremely focused. Mm -hmm. And the more focused that you are, the uh, fewer side projects people can take on and the fewer experiments you're going to run. Mm. Yeah. And so I guess probably the biggest concern would be that the entire team is aligned and agreed around the experiments we are making, the projects we are focusing on, and that they see the, the horizon of, you know, let's, let's see this milestone, let's get to this point, and then I can do my thing. Whereas I think yeah. if, if, you know, people have too short a lens on a timeline of, you know, if, if I can't work on this project or do this kind yeah. of thing next month, I'm going to find some somewhere new to work. You know, that's a, that's always a concern. You want to be able to uh, give everyone the, the stuff that they want to do, the autonomy to do whatever they want to work on. But in a yeah. recession, there's also a little bit of we can't say no to we can't say yes to everything. You know, right. and, and so uh, so that would probably be my biggest focus right now is making sure that we're communicating and getting aligned on what we're picking to work on. Yeah. 
Oh, that's so interesting. Cool. Thank you for answering my question. Sure. Of course. Anything else before we wrap this up? Well, that's an interesting, I, I, if I dive deep into your answer, it's so interesting, right? Because there's a piece about company focus, right? And strategy and like, what's actually going to create value for us in a downturn. And what is the thing that we have to singularly be focused on to continue the business model going in some way, shape or form. Yeah. There's also this secondary piece, which I was a little bit surprised to hear, which is very motivation oriented, right? Like you're saying, Hey, uh, I want to make sure that people get to work on what they want to work on. Uh, uh, which says to me that, you know, a lot of the people who work at your organization are motivated by some measure of autonomy, some measure of uh, empowerment, some measure of being able to create totally. their own thing that they're going towards. And um, that's, it's, a, it's an interesting frame to just have in the mind of like, if the market goes down, will their motivation be that they're not at a higher level of Maslow's hierarchy? I don't know. Mm. Maybe, maybe they'll feel like they have a stable place in a storm. Yeah. Maybe they'll feel like, Hey, you know what? I've watched some friends get laid off. We've all been on LinkedIn. People are getting laid off uh, all the time. Amazing people, like truly amazing people. And so it's, um, I, I, I think my, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear the motivation piece come up really high during that. And I think it's very, it's very perceptive because it's a big thing, particularly in a world where people can leave any day they want. But I'm just yeah. kind of digesting and processing it out loud. Yeah, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, people should be interviewing the companies as much as the companies yeah. are interviewing them. But that doesn't stop when you get hired. You know, you're yeah. constantly interviewing and deciding, is this the place I want to work this week, this month, this year? And professional development and career progression plays so much into that. Am I getting the opportunities to do interesting work and to solve interesting problems and to make progress yeah. and, and build my resume, it's really important to people. And so from a company standpoint, it's top of mind for me, how do we make sure everyone's continually engaged and loves what they're doing and understands the mission yeah. and sees the progress that we're making toward it, even yeah. if we have to constrain resources in some way or make certain decisions. And so uh, I think every company out there should be thinking through the motivation side, the autonomy side. How do you enable autonomy and motivation, but also be transparent around what do we have the resources to do here? Yeah, you know, I love that. Um, in many ways, it, it's a very well articulated behind the scenes thing that comes from my theory of like what, why I think leadership development will continue to get invested in because of this motivational piece, because of also, you know, I think leadership development when done well, actually helps people see their own business through a new lens, right? Um, and so like this idea of what is most valuable for the business, you know, it becomes a lot easier to understand when you have the basic language of finance. It becomes a lot easier to understand when you have the basic language of whether an investment has ROI positive or ROI negative, right? It, it, it like becomes easier to understand. And I think those are the conversations that a motivated employee base has and wants to have and wants to be a part of and kudos to you for for like creating that environment and that culture it sounds like you're you've created something really special at Trangle. well thank you luke so if anyone wants to learn more about ability where can they go uh yeah so uh, if you're interested in our, our larger enterprise solutions come to ability.com and that is misspelled from what you just put in your browser a-b-i-l-i-t-i-e.com I can talk to my CEO Bjorn about why he misspelled it from the get-go, but uh, trust me, people get to there. We'll put it in the comments though as well. So if you're on the enterprise side, come do that. Um, if you're interested in it for yourself and you work at a small company or you're just looking for your own personal professional development, come check us out at the Invited MBA. 
invitedmba.com. Uh, we took some of the best of our leadership development programs from large clients, some of the best simulations we developed and run for tens of thousands of learners and put them to be accessible to you in a way that you could do it uh, while continuing your job. So we have a 12-week part-time program called invitedmba.com. If you mention Chris, if you mention the Organized Chaos podcast, we'll happily give you a $200 tuition credit. The top line is only uh, 1850 uh, as it is, right? So it's a lot cheaper than the MBA I got, certainly. I will say that. Um, and if cost is your issue, uh, reach out to us. We have scholarships as well. You know, it's our mission to actually provide accessible leadership development to organizations and people all over the world as the work changes so fast. And so we, we look forward to working with you wherever you may be and wherever you are in your career. Amazing. Luke, thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Chris, my pleasure. It's been it's been good to have. It's been good to be here with you. Awesome. All right. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in. I think this was a great conversation on professional development. In fact, we had a leadership meeting this morning at Trainual. We talked about professional development and how we were going to continue to invest in this, even as the market is taking a downturn. How do we want to think about professional development? And the overwhelming sentiment across our whole leadership team was that professional development is an investment. It's not an expense. And so if you're trying to cut costs, cut expenses at your business, reframe that and think about how much better could your business operate if you equip your leaders and your people with the knowledge that they need to take the company to the next level, to thrive in a time like this. And so don't cut professional development, invest in it, double down, build that culture that continues to invest in its people because that's how you retain great talent, it's how you attract great talent, and it's how you will thrive during this time. All right, this week's episodes on organized chaos include topics like defining your core content values. This was a fun behind the scenes chat, so check that one out. <clears throat> Balancing family and business life. My thoughts on having meetings in the metaverse, which was so fun, so check that conversation out. Be sure to listen wherever you stream podcasts. Subscribe, tell all your friends, leave a review if you found the content helpful, and we'll see you next time on Organized Chaos. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.